Welcome back, everyone. In this episode, we have an interview with Charlie Munger. Charlie Munger went on recently to a two and a half hour interview on CNBC with Becky Quick. And he covered a huge variety of topics. They basically just had random people or different investors that wrote in different questions, and he went through and answered all of them. And as Charlie usually is, he's honest. He answers these questions very directly. What I did is I went through the entire two and a half hours, and I highlighted the clips that I think are the most interesting and the ones that I'm going to be reacting to in this video. And this goes through a ton of different topics. We have artificial intelligence. We have Tesla versus BYD. We have TSM. What's Charlie's take on that whole debacle? We have cryptocurrency. We got Costco. We got stock-based compensation talk. We have his opinion on Disney. Is Disney a good investment? And we get to see his opinion on buying high-quality compounder companies versus buying a lower quality but cheaper companies. So let's go ahead and start off. This first clip is from Charlie Munger talking about the Daily Journal. The Daily Journal is his own company. So outside of Berkshire, Charlie Munger owns a huge stake in the Daily Journal. And some people have compared it to maybe a smaller Berkshire. They've, they've kind of made comparisons there. This is Charlie Munger responding to those comparisons. Well, it's a small Berkshire and it'll double like rabbits, you know. And, of course, it's not a small Berkshire. I'm 99 years old, for Christ's sake. He's 99 years old. 99! It's crazy how old he is. And still so, I, I mean, he's so with it. He hasn't lost any part of his mind. He seems to be so coherent. And I, I, I just think it's incredible the health of this person who is 99 years old and later on in this interview says that he's never exercised in his life. So some people got, they got good genetics. But Charlie Munger says in this clip that they're not a small Berkshire Hathaway. The Daily Journal is not going to be this company that doubles and doubles and doubles. It's not going to be that kind of company. It's going to be a little bit slower moving. Now, the next subject that he's asked about is artificial intelligence. And he's basically asked about whether or not this is real and it's a huge game changer or whether it's a lot of hype and something talked up to be a little bit more than it is. And I think the answer that he gives here is excellent. So let's go ahead and listen to this. I think artificial intelligence is very important, but is also a lot of crazy hype on the subject. Artificial intelligence is not gonna cure cancer. It's not gonna do everything we want done. And, and there's a lot of nonsense in it too, so. I, re I regard it as a mixed blessing, all this artificial intelligence. Some people have used it in some things like insurance underwriting pretty well, but a lot of people try and use it in ordinary things like buying office buildings or something. And I think that's way more, pro I don't think it's gonna help anybody buy an office building. Not very much anyway. Now I agree with his take on this. I think he has a very good nuanced take on it. Artificial intelligence has been going on for a long period of time. All these companies have been using this and developing this, like Google and Microsoft and so many other ones. And now it's kind of gotten to the phase where even though it's real and applicable, it's starting to become a buzzing buzzword. And companies that really don't have that much artificial intelligence are trying to bolster themselves up and say how they're an AI company. So we're seeing both sides of this. A side where it's a marketing gimmick, it's the buzzword of the year, and the side where it's really real and it has real world applications. Charlie mentions that artificial intelligence is not going to cure cancer. I would push back on that a little bit. 
I think that's a little bit too, too grim of an outlook. Although we don't have examples, or at least I don't know of cases where it's cured cancer, I think there are examples of it helping prevent cancers. For example, image recognition, which is largely AI-driven, is helping recognize different... This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Different problems with eyes, with bones, with different image scans that can potentially flag cancerous cells, even ones that a doctor could miss. So there are huge advancements that could happen that could even help with cancer. I, I think that that's the optimistic take, and I, I really believe that that's going to be the case in the near future. So I agree with this take here. I think artificial intelligence is real. There's going to be a lot of good uses for it and a lot of bad uses for it. And of course, it's going to be used as a marketing gimmick for investors to catch their attention as well. Now, this next clip is going to be a little bit more of a spicy one. I think we'll get some disagreement here. Charlie Munger is asked about why he prefers BYD, which is the Chinese EV company, over Tesla. Well, that's easy. Tesla last year reduced its prices in China twice. BYD increased its prices. We're direct competitors. We're so much ahead of BYD. I mean, BYD is so much ahead of Tesla in China. It's like a, it's just, it's almost ridiculous. I can, I can just fill all the, the Tesla investors and angry viewers here just face palming and pounding the table here about how wrong he is and all the valid reasons that Tesla lowered prices and all of that. And if you look at BYD, which most people never heard of, if you count all the manufacturing space they have in China to make cars, it would, it would amount to a big percentage of all the land in Manhattan Island. And nobody ever heard of them a few years ago. So Munger points out a couple pieces of evidence there. One, he points out that Tesla was lowering prices while BYD was raising prices. Now, there's different arguments here. Uh, Tesla lowered prices in the U.S. to get a tax credit. They still have very high-priced vehicles that have healthy margins. BYD, I believe, builds cheaper vehicles, so they're raising prices off of a lower base. But, you know, that's, a, a I think, a valid piece of evidence. Lowering prices usually means that there's uh, you're trying to sell more vehicles. BYD, he also notes, is much bigger and more successful in China. And I think from the data that I've read, that seems accurate. They have a bigger presence there. It seems like they do have the lead in China, while obviously Tesla has a massive lead in the U.S. BYD is selling about 50 times earnings. That is a very high price. On the other hand, they're likely to increase their auto sales by another 50% this year. So it's we sold part of ours by the way years ago so he thinks that byd is a little expensive right now trading at a very high multiple in my opinion when i look at either of these companies i've i've invested in tesla one time i actually earned 100 percent returns on it it was a great investment it just raced up and i i took the gains and ran with it since then when i review different companies people are confused of why i'm not invested in tesla and the biggest reason why is because of what i consider to be industry dynamics, just the risk of the overall industry. I haven't been that interested in car companies or EV companies 
in general. So I'm not investing in BYD. I'm not investing in Tesla, not investing in Ford or GM or any of them. I've just avoided it altogether. Now, this next clip is regarding TSM. Charlie Munger is asked about his thoughts of the potential, the potential of China to invade Taiwan and what he thinks of that and the chances of it and it regarding TSM. Well, that's a very good question, of course, but but I would argue that the chances in uh, a big confrontation from China have gone down, not up, because of what happened in the Ukraine. I, I think that the Chinese leader is a very smart, practical person. And it doesn't... Russia went into the Ukraine as it looked like a cakewalk. I don't think Taiwan looks like such a cakewalk anymore. I think it's off the table in China for a long, long time. And I think that helps the prospects of investors who invest in China. And the other thing that helps in terms of the China prospects are that you can buy the best, you can buy better, stronger companies at a cheaper valuation in China than you can in the United States. So you're getting the extra risk can be worth running given the extra value you get. That's why we're in China. It isn't like we prefer being in some foreign country. Of course, I'd rather be in Los Angeles right next to my house. You know, it would be more convenient. But I can't find that many investments, you know, right next to my house. So he thinks the risk of an invasion has gone down since the war in Ukraine. And the basic logic there is that because Russia is struggling so much fighting Ukraine, it's been a wake-up call to China as well, that if they try to fight Taiwan, it might be more difficult, which I think is a good argument. I, I think from, from what I've read, and I'm no uh, military strategist, but what I've read is that that Russia is not having a good time fighting Ukraine. Like, this hasn't been going their way. It hasn't been going well. Um, but in regards to his, his talk about China, investing in China, I've made one investment in China, which was Alibaba. And what I found is that, that the risks of the country, I think, are in many cases understated. Uh, I think it's more unpredictable than, than what you think. And I think trying to calculate the risk into an appropriate multiple or an appropriate price to pay is very difficult. So in that case, I'm not trying to apply a discount factor to investing in China. I'm not trying to mathematically underwrite that investment anymore. I don't have any investments directly in China at all. I have a couple companies that do business there. That's quite different than ones that are based out of China. And most of my investments have almost all of their revenue coming from the West and and outside of China and Russia. Now, moving on, we have his opinions on cryptocurrency, and we get to see if Charlie Munger has changed his opinion. Has he come around to crypto? Does he now see the truth that it is uh, it is the new future, the new way, the digital transportation of value, and it's going to it's going to circumvent and upend our entire financial system? Let's go ahead and see what Charlie Munger now thinks of crypto. I don't think there are good arguments against my position. I think the people that oppose my position are idiots. And, and, and so I don't think there is a rational argument against my position. This is an incredible thing. Naturally, people like to run gambling casinos where other people lose. And the people who invented this crypto crapo, which is my name for it, and Sometimes I call it crypto crapo, and sometimes I call it, well, crypto shit. And you can see him stall and think there a bit before he says that. And then he thinks, 
I'm 99 years old. I'm worth multiple billions. I can say whatever I want on this subject. So he goes ahead and, and crypto crapo. It's just ridiculous that anybody would buy this stuff. It isn't. You can think of hardly nothing on earth that has done more good to the human race than currency, national currencies. They were absolutely required to turn man from a goddamn successful ape into modern successful humans and human civilization. Because it enabled all these convenient exchanges. So if somebody says, I'm gonna create something that sort of replaces the national currency, it's like saying I'm gonna replace the national air, you know, it's, it's asinine. It, is, it isn't even slightly stupid, it's massively stupid. And, and of course it's very dangerous and of course the governments were totally wrong to permit it. And of course I'm not proud of my country for allowing this crap, what I call the crypto shit. To, it's worthless, it's no good, it's crazy. It'll do nothing but harm. It's antisocial to allow it. And the guy who made the correct decision on this is the Chinese leader. The Chinese leader took one look at crypto shit and he says, not in my China. And boom, oh well, there isn't any crypto shit in China. He's right and we're wrong. I think it's safe to say his opinion hasn't changed much on cryptocurrency. Charlie Munger is still, he's, he's not a fan. Now in my case, I don't have the same animosity towards cryptocurrency that Charlie Munger does. He really seems to hate it. In my case, I, I don't see the value in it. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I'm not gonna be buying crypto. It doesn't produce any cash flows. I don't think it has any intrinsic value. I think it coincides very closely with scams and with all, all sorts of manner of malfeasance in, in the financial industry. And I think that it's a solution to largely a problem that doesn't exist. I think cryptocurrency solves something that's not a problem. We already have a very robust financial system. I have all sorts of different ways to conveniently and with insurance and encryption transfer money from one place to another. So I just don't buy the entire thesis behind crypto and I've kept out of it for those reasons. But having said that, I don't blame anyone if they wanna have a little bit of their portfolio in crypto. In my case, you're not gonna see it in my portfolios. Now we're moving on from cryptocurrency to Costco. I have to disclose that Costco's a company that I do have a pretty large investment in. I have around $40,000 of value in it. It's one that's actually done quite well. But this is Charlie Munger's opinion on Costco. And he was asked, what could destroy Costco? What could actually cause this company to do poorly in the future? As long as Costco keeps the faith with a strong culture and their extreme low markup policy, I don't see any stopping it. The trouble with Costco is it's 40 times earnings. But, but except for that, it's a perfect damn company. Pretty straightforward take there, and I agree 100%. Part of what makes Costco great is sticking to what it's done for so long. The formula works. And in my opinion, I think it's nearly undisruptible. So I, I think they have a bright future as long as they keep doing the same thing they've been doing for the past 20 years, which is a focus on customer service, focus on... Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. 
Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Extremely low prices, low margin, driving top line growth, opening up more locations, and offering top notch customer service. It is difficult to beat. Costco's figured something out. And they have, I think, a very wide moat because it's very difficult to replicate. To compete with Costco, you have to have lower prices than Costco. To have lower prices than Costco, you have to be much larger and have thinner margins. Very difficult to get to that scale. So I currently hold Costco, but I haven't bought it for a long period of time. Because like you said, it trades at 40 times earnings and rarely does the company dip. So if it dipped a lot, if we had a big sell-off, I might pick up a little bit more. But as of right now, I'm just holding it. I'm not selling it. I'm not really doing anything with Costco. Now, this next question that he was asked, I was very happy to hear because it's again around that topic of stock-based compensation. And my goal has been, what I've wanted to see is a lot more attention drawn to this subject so that hopefully the gap rules are updated and that this is accounted for in some way that's more clear to investors. I don't know the specific ways to change it that would be the overall best, but I know right now it's not clear to investors. And Charlie Munger's asked about this issue of stock-based compensation and how in many cases companies are paying a lot in stock-based comp and it juices their numbers. It makes them look like they're much more profitable than they really are. Well, I think you will find in American corporations very good incentive systems and others that are too liberal, and others that are too niggardly. And what else would you expect of human nature but a certain amount of variety? And I, I agree that some of this, in many a corporation, everybody would vote to being allowed to have stock-based compensation. You didn't count in computing the earnings. They just want any damn way of making the earnings appear higher. It's just human nature. He just says right there, he agrees. Every corporation that can get away with this, most of them, unless they're particularly uh, uniquely honest, they'll pay as much as they can in stock-based compensation and not calculate that into the earnings of the company. A lot of companies are doing this. Intuit is one of them. So he's just saying that this is human nature. It's, it's going to happen as long as it's allowed. Of course, they want their, it's like your little kid goes off to school, they want to bring them good grades, not bad grades. And, and so it's, it's, sure, there's a big problem of excess corporation pay in some places. Other places like Costco, I would say the compensation system is damn near perfect. It's, it's, and, and there's a fair amount of stock. But we always buy in enough stock in Costco to pay for the stock we're issuing. A lot of people in high tech, they issue the stock and they, and they, they, don't, they don't buy it in, so it's a net dilution. I think there's a lot that's wrong in American compensation systems. So what he says there is that in the case of Costco, they do have stock-based compensation, but they buy back enough of their shares to neutralize it so the shareholder overall is not being diluted. If we bring up Costco and Qualtrum here, for example, I can show you exactly what he's referring to. Here's Costco's free cash flow, all right? So we have it going up over time, and then we have the stock-based compensation. Now, Costco for retailer does pay a decent amount of stock-based compensation, and that's how they keep their employees working there as careers. 
Imagine that. Costco has actual career employees there, as opposed to a lot of retailers that they have high amounts of turnover. So in a way, even though this is an expense to the shareholder, the shareholder would be paying this expense in the form of very high turnover if they weren't rewarding their employees. So Costco, I think, has a very long-term view here. So you can see it was actually a decent chunk of their free cash flow. But Costco also bought back enough shares that their share count doesn't really go up all that quickly. Now, he says it's completely flat. That's, it's basically flat. It's up 0.1% year over year. So it is going up slightly, not that much. In the case of Costco, I actually don't think this is a bad thing because the stock is very, very expensive. I like it when companies do more buybacks when the stock is cheap. In the case of Costco, I think it's better for them to do dividends right now because the stock is still pretty expensive. Now, moving on, I think this next part is particularly interesting. Charlie Munger's asked about Disney and Disney becoming recently very political, having their little political battle with with the governor of Florida and all different things that they're pushing into politics. So Charlie Munger shares his thoughts on this subject. Practically every business that Disney has has gotten tougher than it used to be. Again, welcome to human life. Think of how Disney once owned the world. Lion King was running a long run on, on the theater district in New York. They went from triumph to triumph, marching, marching, marching. All of a sudden, on practically every front, it's more difficult. This is what happens. Imagine Kodak, which totally dominated photography in the world, and they invented this new te te technology. Kodak wiped out its common shareholders. So he brings up the example of Kodak as a company that at one point in time was basically viewed as indestructible, it was like the biggest company in its category. And now nobody even talks about Kodak. It's, it's just, a, it's gone. It wiped out all the shareholders. When I look at his take on Disney, I agree with it 100%. The more I've studied Disney, the more I've realized the intense competition they face on basically every part of their business and how most of that competition is relatively new. For example, you look at Netflix. Disney basically helped build Netflix. While Netflix was building up revenue, building up revenue, building up a subscriber base, raising prices, more and more subscribers, more and more revenue. And now they're going, what have we done? We've built up this monster that's competing with us now. And now Netflix has a fire hose of content, $20 billion a year that they can spend on content and production all across the globe, creating content and series that now competes directly with Disney on Disney+. Plus. Then you have at the same time, you have the big tech companies, Apple, you have Amazon that also have their own streaming services that are now spending billions of dollars in production of high quality content. So what Disney used to own, which was almost like a monopoly on uniquely high quality content, now you have other players that also have very fat wallets doing the same thing. And that's not even to mention sports, which big tech is bidding on sports like crazy. So when I look at Charlie Munger's take here, I think that, you know, he compares it to Kodak. I don't think he's saying that that's going to be the result of Disney, but I do agree 100% that competition is far more difficult now than it has been in the past for Disney. You think Disney's headed down the same path or you think that they'll be able to pivot? I mean, I know you followed the company No, no, closely. I think Disney has a lot of assets in it, but yeah. it's unpleasant to have something. How would you like running the sports ESPN now at Disney compared to its heyday. It's going to be way harder for them. The stock's and up this movies year. Movies doesn't move. 
Movies, movies look to me like it's going to be a bloodbath too. So it, it's not a bit easy. And sure. it was easy. In the heyday of ESPN, Disney made nothing but money out of ESPN. It was a total gold mine. Now this next question is regarding different investing philosophies. Charlie Munger is credited with being the investor that changed the way that Warren Buffett invested. Prior to Charlie Munger's involvement with Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett would buy cheap undervalued companies. He would wait for them to go up to their fair value or intrinsic value, then he'd sell and rinse and repeat. He'd do that type of strategy. And Charlie Munger pointed out that it's not sustainable, they can't scale with a lot of wealth that way, and that there's a better way to invest, which is focusing on high-quality compounders. So he's asked about this specific style of investing and why it's superior to the alternative. A lot of Ben Graham's rise in life was during a period when there was plenty of low-hanging fruit among mediocre businesses that were way too cheap. And he was relatively rare and in doing his hunting in that garden. And so he made a pretty good living for himself buying these. What happened is that it, that low-hanging fruit eventually went away as the aftermath of the Great Depression went when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply away and Ben Graham actually made more than half of all the money he made in his life out of one stock and that stock was Geico hmm. which was a great business so to summarize Ben Graham the guy that taught the strategy of buying cheap undervalued but lower quality companies and having that be your main investing thesis he made over half his money on a more expensive high quality business that he just held his entire life that he didn't trade. And this is what Charlie Munger points out as evidence that even the teacher of the other method, even he didn't make his money that way. He made his money doing what Charlie Munger suggested as a, a superior way of investing. So if you actually look at the great man's own life, you see that what he taught wasn't the way he got rich himself. <laughs> And by the way, he told that story on himself late in life. He carefully computed how much he'd made in Geico compared to everything he had ever done in his previous life. And so you can argue that Ben Graham himself woke up once. Even Ben Graham that talks about buying the, these companies that are a little bit lower quality, that are trading at a discount and waiting for them to go to their intrinsic value and selling them, doing more of this quicker trading strategy, he made the majority of his wealth buying on to one long-term high-quality company that compounded decade after decade. It goes to show how powerful that alternative of buying compounders really is. In my opinion, out of looking at all the different investment strategies I've looked at, I think the only viable alternative to an index fund is buying into incredibly high-quality compounding companies, a diversified portfolio of them, and holding them long-term. There's lots of really good companies that I think will compound for the next 10, 20, 30 years. And the strategy of trying to buy the cigar butt companies, buying them low and selling them high, 
you might be able to make some money that way. I think it will be less reliable. I think it will be a lot more work. I, I think it relies on more repeated success over and over again, which is difficult to do. So I'm doing what I think is a much easier strategy. And I agree with Charlie Munger. I agree with his philosophy here. I think that he had an incredibly positive influence on Warren Buffett. And I think that's his greatest contribution to Berkshire Hathaway is changing the viewpoint and the philosophy of how Warren Buffett invested. Now, the final question that Charlie Munger is asked is what does he believe is the characteristic he has that contributes the most to his success over the course of his life? Well, that's easy. Rationality. If you're just not crazy, you have a big advantage over 95% of the people. Because most people have all, all kinds of crazy patches. And if you just are consistently not crazy, you, had a, you get a big advantage in life. So his answer is rationality, not being crazy. I think that's a very fitting answer. Uh, if I was to answer this for my own life so far, I would probably say integrity, I think, is, is the characteristic I think would be the most important. I, I think people that lack integrity, they're just bound to fail at one point or another. They can have success for a time, but it's, it's usually short-lived and they have a lot of struggles that are very unnecessary. But Charlie Munger's going with rationality. And granted, he's had a lot longer of a life to be able to uh, have a say in this. So I'd, I'd, I'd take his say a little bit over mine so far. If you're patient and a, and a gratification deferrer, in addition to being not crazy, then it's practically a cinch. And then if you're exceptionally good at satisfying your commitments to other people, then you've got you, you just automatically improved your resources and your chances in life enormously. So he does add in honesty there. If you fulfill your commitments that you've made to other people. So there you have it. If you're not crazy, if you act rationally on a consistent basis, and if you have integrity and honesty, life's a cinch. And I agree with him. I think that you'll get far ahead that way. That's all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed the reaction here and I'll see you in the next one.